Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. Nope, Mike, you're not going to work on the vehicle performance. You're going to take what you know on vehicle performance and make awesome controls around that to make a super truck. So that was what I was charged to do, is make the software and the hardware work together to make the super truck. Hi, I'm Tim Troop Noonan, your host for Horsepower to Hyperloops in the Mix series. And that was Mike Colville, one of GM's leading performance engineers. As the director of GM's vehicle software architecture and core enablers, Colville manages vehicle performance engineers across the world. But to put that more simply, Colville is known as the features dude at GM and is currently involved in overseeing the development of the features on one of the most audacious road vehicles ever developed, GM's 2022 electric Hummer. This car or truck, released just this year, performs in ways no other vehicle available to the general public ever has. That, and the unusual way in which Colville gained his extraordinary skill set, is the subject of today's interview. Mike Colville, thank you for joining us today on Horsepower to Hyperloops. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that you've been known as the features dude at GM. You've actually gotten some press for that. And you were working on the 2022 Hummer in that capacity. Tell me a little bit more about what you did to earn that moniker. Yeah, so, you know, I worked on the GMC Hummer EV project, and kind of at the onset of that, you know, we decided we wanted to go to the next level, customer-facing features, primarily, you know, software-defined type of features. So, you know, we decided we needed somebody to lead that activity, and, you know, it kind of meshed with my personal background, the things I like to do, kind of my background at GM, and, you know, we kind of made a position where we could take GM to the next level on customer-facing features. That's specifically what I want to talk with you about because, and we'll, that's what we'll get into in a minute, that those features are not XM radio and uh, extra lumbar support, but they are pretty extraordinary and sort of amazing features that redefine for me, in any case, what a car is and what it can do or a truck. So, you know, it's interesting because, uh, my title, you know, we call, I call myself the feature dude, moderately stuck at GM. But anyways, my formal title is, uh, was senior manager of complex feature integration. And that gets <laughs> right at your point of this isn't C to lumbar. These are highly integrated things, connecting systems together. We will get into that a little bit more. It's my understanding that you're going to uh, send me a, uh, a Hummer 2022 to try out for a couple of years. Is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah, we will. Probably around 2040, I'll have one available. <laughs> Mike Colville grew up in Detroit. And when it came time to go to college, the man who loved to tinker with stuff fell in love with the labs at GMI. He graduated with a degree in electrical engineering and a belief that an engineer can do anything he or she wants to do. He pursued a software controls type of job, calibrating airbags, 
and then after a few years went to work with his father who owned an electrical contracting business. A few years after that, he decided to leave the family business to his brother, and he landed a job with GM working on thermal controls with hybrids. During this time, Colville also developed a passion for what could best be termed extreme off-roading in vehicles he built himself in his garage. The catalyst was a 1984 6.2 liter diesel 3-quarter ton panel van with no windows that he rebuilt. Soon, he modified another car, a Jeep, which he and a friend took to Jellicoe, Tennessee to enter what was called a rock crawling competition. We modified my Jeep for all the safety requirements and uh, started competing. And you still didn't really know what rock crawling was, right? No, I never driven on a rock until the day I went down there to do this competition. Well, so explain to me what that is, because this is pertinent so, to the, the features you're putting into the, oh yeah. the new Hummer. What is rock crawling and what did you do that weekend? So that weekend we go down there. I did terrible, by the way. That's the end story is I did absolutely terrible. But it's basically we go down into the mountains or whatever, and they would set up these cones that were just a little wider than your vehicle through the rock gardens or up the sides of the mountain, if you will. And you'd have to navigate up those without hitting the cones. So it was really about having a very nimble vehicle and really understanding how gravity is going to affect your vehicle when you get up on, on your side or whatever. So that one was, you know, scrap metal kind of welded together. I had bought brand new shocks for it. Beyond that, the rest of the parts are kind of repurposed things. He competed in rock crawling for a couple of years and then went on to something called King of the Hammers. This had 30,000 spectators out in the middle of a desert in California to watch these guys go beat the crap out of their off-road vehicles. Explain it a little bit more, even perhaps from the driver's perspective, because I've seen the videos of the King of the Hammers, and it's absolutely astonishing. These vehicles with just suspensions from Mars and tires and clearances go over stuff that you would think would flip them and kill them, and they they bounce around like... I don't know, like balls in, in a basketball court, flopping over these things and still proceeding. So tell me, add to that a little bit and, and paint the picture of what this sport, this King of the Hammers race is about. It has to abide by the law of physics right on the edge. One of my friends calls it the mixed martial arts of off-roading. So if you, if you look at the rock crawling that I was doing before, you find the hardest thing you could possibly climb up and go climb up that. And then if you look at the Baja 1000, it's let's go through these deserts in these between the mountains. Well, King of the Hammers mixes those two things together. Let's go do a hundred and some miles through the desert. And then let's do 30 miles through these rock canyons that you basically can't walk through. I mean, you can, but it's, it's not pleasant and drive over them. And you, you have to make a vehicle that's, balanced and capable of doing both disciplines you know inertia is your friend a little bit of speed is always good and then a little bit of luck mixed in and you'll keep your tires on the ground so uh, when i look at the terrain these things are going through i think well that's not possible it's like the lunar surface or worse because that's flat but when i see a, a vehicle go through but these vehicles are 
custom made and you made a few of them. Am I correct? Yeah. It's always a progression, right? When you do things. So, you know, I had that very crude Jeep. I built this rock crawler that was a little bit nicer. And I took a, a rock crawler and tried to make it go fast in this King of the Hammers thing. At the beginning of King of the Hammers, they were like 50 mile races the first few years. And they would take eight hours to complete. Now they're 250 mile races and they take the winner does it in six or seven hours. So kind of has changed both in speed and what kind of vehicle it takes to compete. I've never ever bought an off-road truck. I've bought some like Polaris things or whatever, but I've built all my true off-road vehicles from the ground up. I raced King of the Hammers in three different vehicles. You know, the first one I would say was rather crude. The second one was very competitive, but it was my first time making a very competitive vehicle. And then the third one was, I would say it was my work of art. Like super proud of all the, the engineering and thought and craftsmanship I put into making it. Eventually, with increasing family and job responsibilities, Colville found it more and more difficult to rationalize the time, money, and danger involved in his hobby. But he later realized he had been inadvertently preparing himself to become the feature dude. So you were doing what was interesting in your garage, going through doing everything you could do with building cars, metal fabrication, <clears throat> developing different aspects of that, and building things that were kind of outrageous, actually, to fit these extreme off-roading events. Yeah, and you know, people at work knew I did this. They were perfectly aware. And it became more and more obvious that I was a, a a quote-unquote car guy. Yeah, That's pretty important when you work at a car company, come to find out. And it's not required, but it is not, it doesn't hurt. And I'm doing this controls job on a, a hybrid vehicle. And my boss goes to me, hey, I'd like you to go work on the next version of the Chevy Volt. I'm like, okay, I'll go do that. And it morphed into not only doing controls, but covering all aspects of performance on the vehicle. Now, mind you, I had no business doing that job. Zero. I was responsible for noise and vibration, fuel economy, ride and handling, all these disciplines that professionally I had never done. But my boss kind of entrusted me in that because he knew I had done it in my vehicle development program in my garage. You know, not with all the tools and uh, capacities that General Motors has, but like my brain can think that way. So he kind of gave me a stretch assignment. And that stretch assignment led to more. In China, he worked on an emerging market low-cost vehicle. And then he found himself working on controls and all aspects of performance on the Chevy Volt. Eventually, though, those projects came to an end, and for a while, he was wondering what would be next. Mary gave the directive, go make. We didn't know what we were going to make yet. The brand wasn't decided, whatever. But we're going to go make a super truck that's electric. That's what we're going to go do. Tell us about what that has turned out to be and some of the 
your role in it and some of the features that you've put into it. When's it coming out, by the way? This year, towards the tail end of this year, it'll be in customer's hands. Yeah. Well, tell us about what you all have done with that and what we can expect, because I know a little bit and it's astonishing to me. Yeah. I mean, it is a super truck, no doubt. On the first day, there was basically five of us that kind of started this project. And all five of us, we tried to change GM's culture as well in this project. Mary said, okay, we'd like you to deliver this super truck. And if you open up the, the book of how long it's supposed to take to develop a vehicle, it was like, okay, we'll have that done, you know, sometime in the mid-decade. No, 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 I don't think you understand. So I've never met Mary, but my boss was basically told directly by her, this is the date it's got to be. We're going to deliver on that date. I don't know the whole story. She's actually a GMI grad, by the way. Oh, I know. I know. She's a wonderful leader. She's changed the company. So we've got this aggressive timeline. And I think we mixed the right five people together to do this project. We're all different, but we're all capable of doing our own thing and then just getting back together occasionally. And it kind of covers that whole spectrum. So the five of us are charged with making this vehicle. His assignment was different this time. He was pulled off controls and charged with making a super truck. And so what did that translate as in terms of what I or another consumer would buy when we drive it off the lot? What do we got? Well, I mean, you can go on the GMC website and see a giant list, but I'll hit on a couple of the highlights. Fortunate enough, that vehicle has enough budget to have some pretty sweet hardware. So, you know, we, we decided to put rear steer on that vehicle. One of my old rock crawlers that I was down in Tennessee screwing around with had rear steer. So I was one of the few people probably in GM that had ever driven a vehicle with rear steer off-road. And, you know, my ideas there kind of led us down, well, what can we do with this? We've got rear steer. We did it on a, a pickup truck in the early 2000s, but... I decided that we needed some way to have more controls over it. And so that's kind of where crab walk came from. You know, we put in crab walk to give that customer the ability to manipulate how the rear steer is working, you know, while they're off-roading. What is crab walk? In normal mode, if you will, the vehicle has the most ridiculously tight turning circle because you take the front tires, you turn them to the right, let's say, your rear tires turn to the left and it makes it turn extremely tight. You know, we have the turning circle of a very small car and it's this quite large pickup truck. In crab walk, we kind of do the opposite. We have the tires turn the same way, which makes it so the vehicle can go diagonal. Instead of turning a corner, it actually moves diagonally. Kind of a pretty neat trick. And then also my rock crawler that I had, I had this manual joystick that I would control the rear steer with. And you'd get yourself all sorts of sideways because you, your brain can't process steering wheel, brake pedals, gas pedal, shifters, and then also how am I going to steer the rear? You know, because we originally thought we wanted to give like manual controls, but I'm like, hold on, guys. I've done this before. It is way too difficult to drive when you have free expression. So what we did was we integrated the rear steer in with all of our drive modes. 
so that the rear steer kind of has its own personality depending on what mode you put the vehicle in. So if you're driving around the parking lot in our normal mode, you know it turns really tight, but it's just, that's what you notice. Like, wow, this car turns really tight. This is nice. And then if you go into our off-road modes, we created the ability to retune it. So when you turn the steering wheel, you're like, wow, the rear of this thing, there's something unique about this. It gives it a whole new character. Just with, you know, tuning and calibrations of the rear steer system. Now, what about the suspension? Isn't that sort of uh, industrial strength, to use another term? Yes, it's, uh, it's legitimate. We put four-wheel independent suspension on the, on the Hummer. Makes it ride totally awesome. It's air suspension, so it can go up and down. With each of our drive modes, we were able to make it go to a different setting. So when we, we go into our off-road modes, we can go to a taller height. And when we want to go fast, like in our Watts to Freedom mode, we lower the vehicle down to the ground. And that, that is kind of an obvious conclusion. But when I think about it, in my race car, I was doing the same thing. If we were on a really fast off-road race that was pretty smooth, we'd lower the vehicle way down. If we're going on really tough rock courses, we would raise it up so it had a little bit more clearance. Kind of the same principles we, we put into the Hummer EV. What is the power in, in however you talk about it? Is, is it pretty fast? Yeah, it's zero to 60 in about three seconds. Way faster than my race truck was. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I've been in the, the vehicle a few times doing a Watts to Freedom run, and everybody is smiling and giggling. It's unbelievable to see a, a vehicle, you know, with, with that off-road stance and still the, you know, ridiculous zero to 60 time. I mean, it's amazing. What else has gone into the features, the performance, the software, the uniqueness of this vehicle? I mean, I think it's just combining things in new ways. If you look at a lot of the patents out there, a predominant number of inventions are actually now building on pieces of technology. That's what they are. They're, they're building on technology. And that's really what my job was, was to say, okay, we've got this DNA. We decided we're going to have rear steer because we want this tight turning circle. What else can you do with it? We decided we're going to have air suspension. What else can you do with it? We're going to have multiple motors drive the vehicle. What else can you do with it? So that was really what my job was, was to not see things for what they are, but for what they could be. You're doing a lot of repurposing, it sounds like, uh, in a way. That's elegant engineering at its finest, right? When you send something to the moon, there's no extra piece, but it has amazing capabilities. Um, kind of doing the same thing. I know you've moved on, and you can tell me a little bit about that, but let me jump way forward. From your perspective and your expertise and your experience, what kind of vehicle are we looking at 10, 15, 20 years down the road in terms of features and capabilities and power and the logical extension of the things we've already been talking about? I mean, the future is electric, no doubt. The future is no emissions. That's a goal. That's got to be the reality. We have one planet to live on. My daughter, she's 15. She's, you know, going on 16 and the thoughts of her driving a powder blue G-Van with no airbags 
is insane because odds of her getting in a collision is pretty high, right? So, you know, I'm going to obviously put her in a safe vehicle, but, you know, all the active safety and autonomous driving stuff really gives you a chance to make a difference for some families to avoid some, you know, you know, very sad moments or whatever. So I think that's kind of the future is no crashes as best we can, no emissions as best we can. I think that's the future of our industry. And so what have you back to sort of the present moved into now? Cause you have uh, put the, the Hummer to bed, so to speak. You've turned it over to the sales and marketing people at this point. What are you doing now? You've got a new position. Yeah. So, you know, pretty fortunate. I got, I did a good job on the Hummer and they decided, you know, my ability to see how a vehicle works electrically is different than some other people. And also I've kind of got a simple pragmatic way. I'm now in charge of all of our electrical architecture type stuff. So how all the little silver boxes in the car talk to each other, some of the tools that we use to develop those, and also all of our over-the-air updating capabilities. I'm kind of I'm responsible for those kind of three areas. And I leave a, a group of people to do that. Sounds to me like you're in computers as much as you are in automotive. But, you know, like I said, I'm a firm believer that if you get a, a robust engineering degree, that's a sign that you can be taught anything. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of get a real practical, good degree somewhere near the centroid of the industry you want to work in. And you can go do any job in that company. Now, certainly, I don't know that they would hire me to go make a space shuttle, right? I probably got to get closer to those disciplines. But for the car industry, I think you get a mechanical, electrical, or software engineering role or uh, degree. You can do any job in that company with a little bit of training. But it's got to come from a robust, broad engineering type of degree. I think that's really important. Well, now the kids are growing or getting growing. They're not there yet, but they're getting there. Are you going to head back off-road on the weekends in the future? Probably not in the near future. It was a, a, a wonderful, I don't know, I did it for a little more than 15 years. I was pretty into it. I'm more, more into the outdoors now, and I've got an old truck I play with. Still screwing around with cars, but just a, a different, different domain. <laughs> well, Mike Colville, I uh, thank you for your time. It's fascinating uh, what you've done. I, I think the idea of you sort of embody the GMI idea of learning by doing. Everybody does that in school, but you went and continued to do that. You eschewed the graduate school and what did you call it? Auto development in your garage? Yeah, vehicle development program in my garage. And you did that, and now the, the Hummer's coming out with uh, extraordinary features with your fingerprints all over it, and you're working on uh, the next uh, level of vehicles. So thank you for your time today. It's been fascinating to talk with you, and good luck with uh, the next steps here. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate your time, too. I like to tell my story. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, 
Horsepower to Hyperloops. Available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.